How's my hair? <laughs> do, do I look good? Yeah. Hair's great. I think, yeah, you have, you definitely have radio, radio worthy hair, podcast worthy hair. <laughs> radio worthy hair. Yes. All right. That that's what I've been going for. I want to look good <laughs> over the podcast. Sounds yeah. great. Hey everyone, yeah. welcome back to another week, another episode, another step in the journey of recovery. This is Recovering You, where we take people step-by-step through what to expect when they step into a life of recovery. We're super excited to be here with you guys again, and we really love and appreciate the support that you guys have given us through listening, uh, through, we've gotten a couple comments on Apple that have been awesome. I've had a couple exchanges over Facebook and some text messages, and I, I really just, I really love the fact that, and I've tried to focus on this, that it's all about the one that for me, I, I, for a while I got caught up in, I want to get as many listeners as possible. I want to, I want to go viral. I want to make a big deal out of this. And just recently it's, I, I've just been reminded that, you know what, this isn't about how big I can go. This isn't about how famous this podcast can get. It's all about if there's one person out there that listens to this episode today and goes home and they ponder on it. And it's something that alters just a little bit of the path of their life toward the better Then I have done my job. And that's what I'm trying to focus on. Absolutely. That's amazing. And that's why you're a better man than I am. Any talent oh. scouts out there listening, I'll take money, you know, <laughs> sign me up coach. Don't, don't, don't go, don't go there on the better man chart. Um, <laughs> no, but I hear you. It, it, that, uh, that's what keeps us going. So thanks everybody for tuning in, listening. Um, a good topic tonight, one that I think um, is important. Uh, it's a good follow-up on our boundaries discussions. Uh, if you're just dropping in for the first time tonight, go back and listen to those boundaries discussions. It'll it'll put a good uh, context around what we're going to talk about tonight for you. But yeah, excited to follow. Excited to follow up with that. Absolutely, Chris. So, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, tonight, we're actually going to pull the attention away from us. And for my journey, I think both of us are getting a little sick of hearing my story. So we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the, the loved ones in our lives who are hurt by our, by our actions, by our addictions, by our problems, and their journey of recovery. What is available to them? What are the steps that happen after that D-Day? What is the most beneficial thing that they could do in order to enhance and beautify their own lives and spirits in order to find true healing for themselves. So there, there's a lot to cover tonight. Um, you know, we're, we're going to do our best. And I, I really just, I hope it's something that can be impactful for those that have been affected by addiction from love. Yeah. I, I love, I love that word that you use beautify because one of the things that addiction does once it comes to light, it kind of wrecks, it wrecks the world of the people around you. And that, that may sound like extreme language, but I think it, it's very true. Everything that they thought they knew about you and their relationship with you is suddenly just thrown into doubt. It's, you know, it's been a, a wrecking ball smashed and just thrown out there. So, so I, I think it's apt and, and it's important to know that there's still that, that life can be beautiful again um, when, it, when it seems dark and hopeless. So I, I remember my wife telling me she, she would do these Q&As with uh, Maurice Harker. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he is the mastermind of life-changing services. He is 
uh, a modern day saint, in my opinion. He's an amazing and incredible and genius of a man who has dedicated his life, his life to helping people recover from addiction and helping couples overcome things just like what, um, like what I went through. And when uh, in one of these Q and A's, I, I believe it was in one of these Q and A's, it may have been in the discussion with uh, the therapist, she explained it or, or he explained it to my wife as basically your, your world that existed before D-Day imagine that it completely shattered and blew up into a trillion different pieces and it's it's all over the place and here's the thing you're not going to be able to put it back together the way it was before nor would you want to so what you have to do is essentially start taking the pieces that matter most start taking the pieces that will allow you to create something better than what than was there before and create, you know, create a new world, something that is a safe haven for you to continue forward in your future journey. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And, and so I'm excited. I, I'm really, I'm really anxious to get, get your thoughts and, and your real life experience um, out into the podcast sphere, if that's a word <laughs> for people to hear and benefit from. Um, I I don't know if you um, follow this guy on Facebook, but I, I subscribe to this page called Andy's Little Homestead. Have you heard of this? I have not. So it's this guy and he's probably, I don't know. I don't, I don't he may have said in one of his videos, he's probably, he looks like he's about our age. And um, he's started a homestead somewhere in Michigan. And it's these fun videos about all the things that go into to building, building a homestead. Well, he posted a video this last week, and I would recommend if, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. And it's basically him saying, how did I end up on a homestead in Michigan? And it's because he started out as an alcoholic. He was married and he had a job, had a business, um, but would come home and just get drunk every night. And coupled with that, he specifically called out pornography use and yeah, he promised his wife he would promised his wife that he would stop, promised that that it was the last time. And he he gave up drinking but couldn't kick pornography. And ultimately it was the pornography that broke the camel's back. He said that, you know, his wife said, I love you, but but I can't uh I can't be with you anymore. And so he left, left the civilized world for all purposes. And went to build a farm and, and live off the land. And wow. he tells his story of, you know, he, he went through what he needed to go through to recover from his addiction. And um, eventually um, his wife uh, came back to him and, uh, but he had, he, he underlined that it, it had to be on her own terms and with what she was comfortable with. So Okay, pornography so, so is a what, real what was, struggle yeah what was the what was the name of that again it's called andy's little homestead andy's and, little homestead okay uh, yeah if for those who are listening i think you posted this the this is uh the last week of october in 2021 i and, i i yeah i love what you shared there i i love because to, to me that is like the ultimate whatever it takes attitude to finding healing because he didn't do it to get his wife back right Yep. He, he yeah. did it to fix his own life 
And in doing so, that healing led him to appear, not, not just appear, but to be more healthy and more desirable. His lifestyle, his, the, the, the healthy way he was living his life made it where his wife must have felt at least some some semblance of safety and trust and noting noticing a change in him that she was like you know what i can see that there's real effort and real change going on and i'm willing to take another shot at this yeah no absolutely and and i think something that's important to call out is that when we're neck deep in recovery when we're going through the gut-wrenching work of of coming to grips with just how far our addiction has taken us away from who we want to be, from the life we want to be able to lead and the world we want to live in, there's almost zero energy left, zero power to do anything besides focus on ourselves. And so as guys, and this might be a stereotype, um, but I hope you'll forgive it. We tend to want to fix things. And, and it's hard, it's hard to fix the things in ourself that addiction has done to us. And so, and I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I think my experience has been because of that, the pull is very strong to reach out to maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a parent, uh, maybe it's a girlfriend um, and say, and because you see that they're, that they're, you know, they're devastated, their world has just been broken. And so we want to fix that because we love them. And it's, it may seem easier to not put in the work on ourself and justify it by saying, oh, I'm going to go help this person that I love. But one, we can't, we can't fix anybody else until we're fixed ourselves. You know, we can't recover that relationship until we recover who we're supposed to be. And then two, that person has to have space. You know, we've talked about boundaries and we've talked about yep. all, all these different aspects of it. But bottom line is that person has to have space to get their bearings on what they want their journey to be, what their healing journey needs to be. Um, in a sense, they're, they're on their own journey to recover themselves because who they thought they were becoming in this relationship has just been thrown into doubt. And so we have to, have to respect that boundary, have to give them space, and, and we have to let them figure out what am I going to do with myself and with this relationship now that I see it's not what I thought that it was. Does, does that ring true with what you experienced in the early days of uh, after D-Day and, and uh, trying to navigate this world of you feeling you know, broken and trying to put yourself back together and at the same time seeing your wife struggle with what she had just uh, learned about the way things were? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not, not only did I want to help her find that healing by, you know, like suggesting, Hey, there's support groups for this. Um, therapy is really helping me. Maybe it would help you. Maybe we could do couples therapy, you know, coming up with all these solutions to try and help her offering to be more of a help to, to take the kids, to be as supportive as, as I could when really all she would, all she would focus on would just basically be telling me, look, you worry about you. I'm taking care of me and I'll get there when I get there. So one, one thing that my wife said in her episode on the eternal warrior podcast, which if you have not listened to that, it is of the three episodes we did, 
uh, and I, I know we've talked about this before. It was by far my favorite. She talked about though how her win for the day some days was 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 eating. Uh, that was the big thing that she was she would she was so caught up before in everything that was going on that she would forget to eat, and so she started to have to learn how to do self care, and that self care was just making sure that she got some food in her that day. It didn't, you know, it didn't include working out. It wasn't trying to take over the world. It was the small little steps where she learned essentially, because uh, we talked about in the past, the whole body cast thing, right? She's been hit by a truck and she's in a body cast. And so this, these first steps into self-care and self-healing are kind of like when you first get that, that cast first starts coming off that you have to start, you have to learn how to walk again first. You have to learn how to feed yourself. You have to learn how to um, take care of yourself in a way that isn't necessarily conquering all. It is just doing enough. And, and that's that yeah. sometimes that's all we can expect. Um, so yes, I did definitely try and fix things. And it took me a long time to step back and kind of put my hands up and be like, okay, you know what? you're right. It is not my job to fix you. And it is not your job to fix me. And that was learned through an analogy that we were given about hitching up your wagon. And the, the, the visual of that is basically my, my wife told me, she's like, well, it's kind of like this, Cameron, I have my own wagon. I've hitched it up. I've packed everything up. You're welcome to come on, come with me on this journey, but you do not get to ride in my wagon. You do not get to I'm, I'm not going to pull you through this journey. This yeah. is my journey. I'm going to take it. You do you, I'll do me. And further on down the road, if we join wagons, that's a, that's a separate issue. We'll take care of at the time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really loved that. Cause I was like, okay, this is, you know, she is capable of, of that healing. And I also needed to learn to trust heavenly father that he was capable of helping her heal. Because by me trying to fix everything, I wasn't showing trust in her and I wasn't showing trust in Heavenly Father for that atonement to allow her to find healing and forgiveness and hope in a future. Yeah, no, that's super powerful. And, and for our listeners out there, if, if you are the wife or girlfriend or mother of someone who has um, disclosed a pornography or sex addiction, uh, I, I want to point you to lifechangingservices.org. They have some, some great resources. Um, they have Women of Rebirth Therapeutic Healing or Worth, um, and that's uh, gospel-centered therapeutic support groups for married and divorcing women whose spouses are dealing with, are dealing with pornography use um, or sexual addiction or sexual acting out. Um, they have mothers who know um, for, uh, to help moms get the support and training on how to help their children who are experiencing unwanted behaviors and addiction. And there's also a podcast on that too. That Yeah, uh, you were telling me about that. What's the name of that podcast? It's actually called Mothers Who Know. It's by Karen Broadhead, who uh, I've listened to a couple episodes. They're, they're awesome. And, and it's definitely like such a good resource to be able to learn how to address and talk about these difficult things and have that understanding and empathy without, without shame and without making, you know, those kids want to retreat and isolate, but yeah. having this open dialogue and creating this healthy atmosphere that will foster 
confidence in the future and not not shame and isolation. Yeah, and I, and I would encourage that to strongly for parents because basically 100 percent. Don't quote me on that statistic, but almost every single young man is going to view pornography before he gets out of high school, um, before he gets into high school, I think at this point. And how we as parents deal with that will have a huge impact on if, if that young man learns to, to manage that in a healthy way or not, if it's something that he chooses to bury and feel ashamed about and that follows him into adulthood and, and, and marriage. So there's some great resources out there. I, I feel like it's important at this point to, to stress to any of our listeners um, who are tuning in for the first time, Cameron and I are not licensed therapists. We're not psychologists. Um, I'm, I'm a certified uh, personal warrior trainer. Cameron um, has gone through the classes and, and been certified and has, of course, extensive um, frontline battle experience with this. There are... And, and, and I mentor I, the groups. Yeah, and you mentor the groups. Yeah. We, we had Cody Haas on, who is a licensed therapist. And that's an extra level of support um, because betrayal, uh, it, it's a traumatic event. So there's, there's betrayal trauma support, um, there's spiritual psychology masterclasses, there's marriage repair. Um, you know, if that's the route that, the, that you decide to go together, there's marriage repair workshops. There's a whole nother um, level of help that clinicians and therapists can provide to you. So strongly urge you to check out just the homepage on lifechangingservices.org. We'll have all of this laid out. Um, and click there. And I can't help but believe that you'll feel um, like you're breathing for the first time in a long time after finding out about your loved one's addiction. Um, there is, there's help and there's support. And it comes in a whole way, like you said, Cameron, that empowers you as, as the loved one to hitch up your own wagon and chart your own course and be on your own journey. And yeah and then decide from there what happens with the relationship. And, and can, I, can I jump in here on something? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my wife attended the Worth Group for, I think, about a year. Um, and I had a few family members actually reach out to me and say, essentially, aren't you worried that they're going to encourage divorce and that, they're gonna base, that it's basically a husband bashing group? And, you know, that they're just going to make her, you know, encourage divorce and, you know, they're never going to change. You should just leave them now while you're out. You know, don't, don't go back to a toxic relationship like that. And, and I had a lot of people say they had heard these things about the worth group specifically. And mm. that the awesome thing about my wife is that she would tell me about these meetings and essentially not, not sharing any names or any specifics, but she would just talk about the topics and she would say oh this this lady talked about this situation and this is what the therapist said on how to deal with that and what i loved about this worth group was never once did they did did she say that the the group started to bash on the husbands or that they started to try and try and turn the hearts of these traumatized women away from what could potentially be a positive, trusting, successful, and loving marriage. It was always care and concern for the individual and how to help them with their healing. The focus was not on the heal, not on the addict, not on the behaviors of them. It was all focused on 
what these women could do for themselves, their self-care and their journey in order to find hope and happiness once again through the trauma that they had experienced. I love that. I love that. And, and that empowers you once you get to that point, uh, once you engage in that healing process, I think it puts, it puts those individuals in a spot where they can come to terms with there are different outcomes and, and they get to decide what path they want to go to down. Just like you outlined in one of your meetings with Cody, where he said, why are you working to save your marriage? It's, it's a legitimate option to, to throw in the towel. Yeah. And, and I think both our listeners who are recovering from addiction and our listeners who are the loved ones um, going through this and, on, and trying to find their way on their own journey um, need to need to get comfortable with the fact that there are going to be different outcomes for every recovery journey. And for me, it boils down to three different aspects. And, and it could be some sort of a mix of, of these three. It's not necessarily all or nothing on any one of these. But option one or outcome one is it, the decisions made to let go that the individual has has felt so betrayed and so hurt um, that as they've put into work to care for themselves and realize that their worth is not dependent on their their husband's fidelity to them. Also known as codependency. Yep. There you go. That's the scientific word for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that the best thing for them is is to let go of that relationship and to let go of that that person. And that's hard right? And there's no two ways about it. It's hard for um, the husband who's working or the boyfriend who's working to recover. Um, Hard for the the wife or girlfriend who's, who had hoped that for something different for them together. And and that, that letting potential outcome. Yeah. That letting go isn't always, I mean, it's letting go of the relationship and it's also letting go of the, the need to try and control the outcome, letting Mm -hmm. go of the burden that they're carrying of, I mean, because the, these women that, and I'm referring to my wife here as, you know, I don't want to speak too generally, but in my experience, these women have gone through so many times where their husbands are breaking down saying, I, I want to change. And, and they take the burden on themselves that they basically say, okay, I'm going to save you. I'm going to be there for you. I will not leave you. We are on a team. And then that responsibility just starts to build and build and build. And the husband's behaviors just continue. And so that letting go needs to be also this mindset of it's no longer my job to save you. Mm, Yep. Love that. We're both drowning here. And all, all you're doing by asking me to help you is pushing me under the water. And you're not doing the swimming yourself. I can't do it anymore. I have to let go. Powerful. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so so break that codependency for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so that's outcome one. Outcome two um, is to rebuild something different together. Um, gone to these groups, you've been working with a therapist, you've assessed what your different options are, and you say, and for it could be a number of different reasons, but you say, I, I still love this person and I still see something here where we can, we can build a healthy future together, but it's going to be completely different than what it's been for the last one, five, 10, 15 years. Uh, because to your point, Cameron, there, there may or may not, uh, and again, this is where a therapist will come in and help you, um, may or may not have been unhealthy levels of codependency. And right. so it's necessary to, to tear everything down, you know, the way that the relationship worked in the past 
and figure out we're, we're going to, we're remodeling, we're rebuilding something completely different, but, but it's going to be together. And both parties have to be okay with that too, to say, this is not, <laughs> you know, this is not the relationship of, of five years ago, but it's, it's, it's a good place. And we have our, we have our eyes set on the horizon. I, I love that analogy of rebuilding a house together. Like if you think about it, when you first get married, you kind of purchase a house that's already built because these habits and the, these two people that come together, they are who they are. You know, you are completely individualistic people. And then when this earth shatters, you, you essentially have to take the wrecking ball to that house that you just lived in together. And what's so cool about this is now, now you get to, you know, bulldoze everything over, start with a clean foundation and say, this is how we want our house to look. And we're going to build it board by board, brick by brick, roof <laughs> tiles. You know, we, we get to pick out the wall colors, how the floor looks, what the staircase, everything. We're going to design it in the way that suits us as a couple. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. For those of you who don't know what roof tiles are, they're, they're what we people in the desert call shingles. Um, but, uh, no, I love that. And, and, and that kind of bridges into, for me, what, what's the third outcome that I've identified anyway, is, is rekindling the best of what was lost is you've gone, you've gone through the work individually. You've decided that you're going to, that there's enough there to make it work together. And as you've worked with therapists and you've put in the, the work on yourselves, on your own goals, um, your own boundaries, and, and doing what you need to do as an addict to keep that in control and what you need to do as, as the loved one of an addict to, to keep them in check and not let them break your boundaries. There's this opportunity to say, hey, what we thought we had lost, there's still some of that there. Yeah. We, still, we, we can go and we can play tennis again every Saturday morning or pickleball. Um, and we love doing that together. Or we, we can go out to the theater or we can go uh, jogging together or we can play video games together. I mean, there will be things that you lost um, in the course of this addiction and, and the disclosure of the addiction that you may have thought were gone forever that actually get to come back into that relationship. And that's a beautiful thing when you, you know, it's, it's innocence reborn, essentially, you know, the best part of what we had um, there's pieces of that that we get to put back together. Absolutely. I, I loved it. That was, that was powerful. That was so good. Yeah. Cause I was actually thinking of that when, when you were saying, you know, rekindling what was lost, it, it gave me the visual of uh, grabbing a vine of grapes and you know how you pick out the ones that are kind of squished and rotten and ugly. Cause you don't want to eat them, but there's still <laughs> some, there's still some really good grapes on that vine. And so you pick those ones out and, and that's what you consume. And, you know, it, it usually ends up being things that you enjoyed doing together when you were first courting, like what you were saying. Uh, for, for me and my wife, we loved going on walks and we would just hold hands and we would talk for hours and we love going to the movies. And these are things that we've tried to rekindle and we do our best to continue doing. So I, I really love that you brought that up. And my take from your story and from the other people that I've talked to is that it's not necessarily all or nothing on any one of these. Right. Um, your your recovery and your healing is going to go through phases and stages. Um, you know, you, you've talked about how there was a time when you had to completely let go. You weren't in, allowed in the house. You you weren't allowed to talk. You know, it was yep. 
there's no communication. There's a wall here. And, and, and that was needed um, in order for in order for your wife to, to get her feet under her and to heal to the point where she could make the decision on what happened next. And there was some, you know, tearing down and rebuilding something that looked completely different, different boundaries, different expectations, different ways of communicating. And then what you've just said, there was a lot of rekindling too. Um, you know, when, when you couldn't hold hands, when you couldn't talk to each other, um, it got back to the point of, Hey, you know, we've, we've rebuilt this trust and, and we realize that it's safe now to do these intimate things. And I'm not talking about sex, these intimate things that we didn't do with anybody else, holding hands and going for a walk at night. Right. Uh, all these, all these little things that we took for granted and that um, fell by the wayside because of our addiction. And I, I don't know, but I would guess more often than not that that's, that's what it looks like. It's, it's, it comes in waves and it's some, some mix of all three of those things. So one, one thing that I, I just, for those of you out there listening that are wondering, maybe you are the wife or the parent of someone who's struggling with an addiction. My advice to you is don't give up hope in yourself and allow yourself to let, let the addict's journey of healing be their own. You don't need to feel guilty for choosing to heal yourself. It is not a selfish act. It's the same thing that they tell you on an airplane. When the, I, I, th- I use this analogy all the time. When the masks drop down, the first person you're supposed to, supposed to take care of and put the mask on is yourself. Then you take care of those around you. This self-care and self-healing is not a selfish act. And nobody should ever, you should never allow anyone to convince you that you're being selfish by not allowing that person back into your life, not allowing that toxicity back into your life by saying, I have put up my fences. I will allow in what I'm comfortable letting in. And I'm not, I'm not going to go back down that road of letting myself be hurt over and over again, because that's not selfish. That is exactly what God wants you to do. He wants you to recognize your true worth as a child of God. He wants you to understand the power that comes from someone who is in a healthy and productive mindset, because that is the kind of person that can change the hearts of those around them. Someone who is stuck in a toxic relationship and afraid to set boundaries and scared of losing that person that they love, but that is hurting them can't do much good because they're trapped. So there's this freedom that comes from saying, look, I'm going to take the time to heal myself. And if that in the future means that I don't end up being with you, we will both, if we are both working on our healing, end up happier. And I, I said this at the end of uh, Boundaries Part 2 about my friend. Sometimes it doesn't include the spouses getting back together. Sometimes divorce is the most healthy option. But if both people are working on healing themselves, even though they get divorced, their lives, their spirits, their countenance, everything will improve and God will sort out the rest. They, that, that, that true love that they deserve both people because the addict and the betrayed both deserve love will be provided by God when they put forth their own efforts to heal. Sometimes that involves them getting back together, like you were just talking about, and rekindling the uh, the best of what was lost. And sometimes that involves a new journey 
where they still are part of each other's lives. They still acknowledge that and they can still coexist happily together while stepping foot into a new story. Yeah. I, I love that. That's super powerful. And, and the only thing I would add to that, I think is a scripture um, might be one of the most quoted scriptures in the world this is John three sixteen and 17 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus Christ was not the backup plan for those of us who couldn't live a perfect life. He, he was the plan, the only plan, because God knew that, mm. that we were going to mess up. And there's no condemnation here, if, if, especially for you as the one who's been hurt. Um, yeah the addiction and and there's no condemnation here if you're the addict who has fully disclosed everything and is pouring yourself into recovery there's only love and you're not going to perish god's not going to let that happen he's preparing an everlasting life for you and so take take heart in that and and also know that the devil's going to try to oppose that he's going to try and plant negative thoughts about you and your self-worth and, and where that all lies. It's just not true. You're loved. You're worthwhile. You're, you're a son. You're a daughter of God. And there's hope and help and healing out there for you. Um, so reach out for those resources. Pull your team close around you. And keep your eyes fixed on the horizon because you're, you're worth recovering and there are better days ahead. I love it. Beautifully said, Chris. With that, we are going to let you guys go. Please remember to uh to rate this like it subscribe share it do whatever you can especially if you know someone who has been hurt by an addict this would be a great episode to share with them uh there's no condemnation here like chris was just saying toward the addict or the betrayed there should be no no shame involved on either side of the fence uh there should only be a hope for an for a positive outcome and you know feel free to reach out to us at recoveryu2 at gmail.com. If you have questions or want to share your story, we would love to hear from you. And we look forward to sharing more of this story and more of these tools and what we have to offer with you guys next week. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Love you guys.